Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Two Bulls in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Two Bulls in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Hello and welcome everyone to another exciting bonus episode of Two Bulls in a China Shop. I'm your shopkeeper Dan with me as always is Kyle creator of financialineptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing good. Looking at a blizzard outside. Apologies Ooh. to anybody else in the Midwest. On the plus side, there's a cardinal outside my window. Looks pretty cool. Oh, I bet it really stands out against that snow. You know, when I lived in Arizona, I actually never, I think I saw one cardinal my entire time there. And that's like the name of a football team. <laughs> yeah, right. I see them all the time out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, the Illinois Cardinals. Anyway. All right. You, you know, right? folks, we got, we've got an exciting bonus episode here. Uh, with us today, we are joined by the lovely, one-of-a-kind Sue Pullen. How are you doing today, Sue? I am fantastic in sunny Arizona. <laughs> yes. <I'm> lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no snow here, sir. No so snow here. That's for sure. Let me know how it is in August. <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> If you're a regular listener to the show, you you know we we talk about Sue a lot. Uh, she is our our sponsor, and uh, we're excited to have her on here today to to talk to her about uh, how she got involved in everything she's doing and what uh, what she's looking forward to be doing in the future. So I think I think the best place to get started, uh, as as Kyle was saying before the the call started, Sue, how did you first get involved in in just finance and in credit and mortgages? How how did you get interested in that uh, to begin with? Well, back a lot of years ago, many, many years ago, I um, made a phone call to, I think it was Mitchell Financial, and a girlfriend of mine answered the phone and she said, oh my gosh, Sue, we are so busy here, you need to come and get a job. So I showed up the next day and I started working for Ken Orms, rest his soul, he was killed in a plane crash a few years ago. But I started out with Ken and um, and learned the business and um, and really did the back end stuff, the the closing and um, insuring and, you know, just things that happen after the mortgage is, um, is sold or getting sold after you sign on the, on the dotted line. 
kind of thing. And I did that for a number of years. And then I um, and then I started doing some marketing stuff for a, a friend of mine in the mortgage business. She um, she was a loan officer, and I did that for a year or two. And and honestly, I was appalled at how at how easy it was for some people to get ripped off. Mm. And it's kind of scary to say that, but it was really disgusting to me. And so I, and so I thought I can't do this anymore. If I'm going to get, if I'm going to stay in this business, I need to be a loan officer. But I, I saw how bad people were getting ripped off and how easy it was to take advantage of them because they don't know what they're doing and they don't, they yeah. don't, they trust who you, who they're dealing with. And I realized then that it was important for, um, for somebody to protect these, these folks. And so I started, um, it's been a lot of years. Um, I've helped a lot of people and, um, I trust, I, I, I just, I pride myself in doing what's right for the customer, not what's right for me. And I always say right. that to people, it's not about me. It's about you. Right. To, for you to be doing your job properly in your own eyes, you're servicing their needs, not just trying to make as many dollars as you can from a single transaction. That's exactly right. And in yeah. fact, I um, I was on the phone one day um, talking to my oldest daughter, and a, another phone rang. A, a customer called in, and so I I put her I put the phone down and picked up the other phone, and was talking to the customer. And um, and after talking to him, I, I told him it's not in my opinion it's not right for you to refinance. I don't think you should. I think what you've got is fine. It would cost you more money, and it really doesn't make financial sense for you to do it. So I think you shouldn't. And we hung up and I picked up the phone and, and got my daughter back on the phone. And, and this is when I knew I was doing the right thing. She said, oh, my gosh, mom, I just heard you turn down business. I am so proud of you that you're doing the right thing for the customer and not for you. And, and that's when I knew that I had an impact uh, on what I was doing, that other people were paying attention. And um, right. it made me feel good. So, Oh, that's awesome. How long ago was this when you were noticing the, the predatory uh, behavior in, in this industry because back in 2008 when everything crashed, a lot of this was due to all these five-to-one yeah. arm loans and, and just the, the type of products that were being pushed on everybody. It was actually before that. It was in the, in it was early mm. 2000s, it, like mm. 2001, maybe 2002 um, when I saw it. But, but I was working with people that would brag about how many points they were charging. And a point in a mortgage is 1% of your loan amount. And yeah. when they could brag about saying, oh, wow. I just made six points, that's 6% of your loan amount. That, uh, one guy that's was in the, huge. I mean, the $30,000 oh, that they're making on, on, by refinancing a, a loan, I mean, it's ridiculous. So that's when I decided to get into it. And I actually got into the business as a loan originator back when, right before the market really got bad. And I was mm. really pretty good at it. I knew products. I knew, I mean, that's the whole thing. You've got to know the guideline. You've got to know the product. And you've got to be able to say, hey, I don't know the answer to that yet. So let me do some research, find out, and I'll get back to you. And mm -hmm. then get back to them. Uh, I, m my motto is, it is what it is. You can't change. You can't change. I mean, mm -hmm. it is what it is. Either you qualify right. or you don't qualify. Either, you know, you do this to get yourself to qualify. But... It, but to ignore it or to hide it or to beat around the bush, it is what it is. And, yeah, um, and yeah. so, so that was always my motto in, in doing this. And it still is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ah, oh, crap. I had a question. I just <laughs> lost it. <laughs> I, uh, I remember Shoot. back in <laughs> 2002 or three, when I bought my house, my first house, I was shocked at 
when I walked in to ask them about it, they were like, yeah, here, here's a mortgage. Take it, take it. Come on, come on. And, and mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah. I, had, I, had, I had grown <laughs> up with the idea of like, well, you got to got to save up you got to have a big egg like you got it's it's not easy to just walk you don't walk in and just get a mortgage and and that's exactly the environment i walked into i was very well i was excited at the time <laughs> but i was very but surprised back in those days that's exact i yeah. remember that house <laughs> back in those days that's exactly what you did you walked in if you could breathe you'd get a mortgage yeah. there was so much no. money out there but that was a lot of but that was too a lot of the administration at the time pushing people they wanted home ownership they wanted yeah. people to be able to buy a house so they they you know everybody blames somebody for what happened mm -hmm. with the mortgage meltdown mm -hmm. but it was the environment yes there were some unscrupulous Everything. people but that's yeah. in anything right yeah how, how much of that was the lending policies that that clinton enacted back when uh he was president because I, th I think i remember hearing that the, the policies that he put in place were actually what made it so easy for people to qualify because there was this thought that everybody should have a house. That And I don't know that it was Clinton because I wasn't really very into politics, but it definitely was in whatever time frame that was. That's exactly what it was. It was the programs that mm -hmm. you could, if you could breathe, you could get a loan. You could lie your way through. I mean, it was so easy. If you needed a job, you could buy it online. <laughs> you could get what you needed online. You could you could buy your W2, you could buy your tax returns. I know people come would come into my office and say, "Well, how much income do I need to show? I'll just get it." Well, what do you mean you'll just get it? They would oh just I, you realize that's fraud, right? I mean, yeah, and even right. today people saying that it's like, "You real that I, I don't commit fraud. I'm not going to jail for you to get a loan. No, you can go right. somewhere else and do that." <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you talk about your knowledge. That's one of the things that was really helpful for me when uh, you did my loans. Is not very many people understand how a VA loan works. And that's one of the few, that's one of the things that you definitely uh, know the ins and outs of. It was very helpful in my personal experience with dealing you with know, you. And you're right, Kyle. It's, it's about knowing guidelines. And it's not about knowing everything there is to know. But you've got to trust the person that you're working with that's gonna, that we're going to go out and look for the information to know. I, I will be the first one to say that mm -hmm. I don't know it all, but I am learning something every day. And it's reading the guidelines. It's surrounding yourself around a company that will, that will do the research for you, that will find it, that if you can ask a question, you're going to get great information. I've, I've changed companies throughout the years. I've settled on Fairway, independent mortgage, Fairway. There I, and I've been with Fairway for 10 years now, and I will never go anywhere else because they're so great. But... I have been with companies where I would give them the scenario, hey, can we do this? It's a borrower that's gonna go under contract buying a new house, and here's the scenario. And three different times, this one particular company before I came to Fairway said, yes, you can do it on three different loans. And when we got into underwriting, they were denied. Well, as a lender, that makes me oh, look really bad, but yeah. not just, it, but it, make, but it puts right. the borrower in a really bad spot because here I, I thought we could do it because I went to the top and they said we could do it. And three times, three in a row, they said, no, I can't do it. So I left there, went to Fairway, and will never go anywhere else. But it's important that you... Was that the, was that the same person? I know there were three different people, thank goodness. But, but it's still just okay. as bad. Oh, thank but God. it's bad for all three people. <laughs> but the point being, you have to trust right. your loan officer. And if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. If you're not getting, here's, the, here's something that I tell folks. If your loan officer is not calling you back, there's something wrong. 
They don't want to deal with it. They're afraid to deal with it. But if they're not giving you the bad news, they're not Uh, giving you any news, something is wrong. mm. No, unless we're stuck with COVID. Dan, I know you had COVID. I did too. And for two and a half weeks, I was stuck in bed. I took six six naps a day having COVID. So maybe I didn't get back right away. But but in reality, if you are not answering, if you're not getting responses to you from your loan officer, there is definitely something wrong. So, and there again, I say it is what it is. It's better when three people, the realtor, the borrower, the loan officer work together to figure out how to, how to restructure a deal, to figure out what we can do to make it work, then it is to ignore it. Because ignoring it doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you can't do something for a person, if you can give them options, or at least be honest with them, then they're more likely to come back to you when their that's situation exactly changes. Right. I mean, that's just good. That's just good business. Yeah, it, it, oh, that's yeah. exactly right. It's good business, but it's important. It's important that communication, just in anything, but that communication is what's key. If you can talk through it and give them options and tell them what to do, and maybe today isn't the right time to buy a house. Maybe it's it's in a year, it's in two years. The truth is, I'm not going anywhere. I've been doing this for a mm-hmm. long time, and until I'm six feet under, I'll probably still be doing it because I love doing it, but, um, but so I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) So come back to me later on and that's just as good. (laughs) But let me, Dan, let me just say this, as far as, as Kyle, when he bought his first VA house, you didn't just stop there. I mean, in reality, and I have to say, this is one of the, this makes me really proud to be a loan originator. When the market turned, Kyle, you were ready to buy Mm-hmm. You bought your next house and you bought another house. I think right now you're on your fifth or sixth house. Right. But it feels good <laughs> when, you, when, when somebody like you listens to me, because you were young, you were very young when you started doing it. And to be in a mm. position where you oh, are yeah. today, because you listened to the advice that I gave and trusted what I said, you're doing really well in your real estate investments. You did very well, but you bought at a time when it was the perfect time to buy and it, yep. and as a mortgage lender, it makes me feel really good when I have you young kids that actually listen to the advice that I give and, and, and look at you now. And not just with buying, but getting your credit ready and saving and, and just being smart about the whole financial picture. I don't do what you guys do. I used to, but I don't do what you guys do. It's just on the real estate side. So well, when you mentioned uh, the real estate, I, I have to say real quick that I only own one extra house now. So if you're looking to sue us for, for something, <laughs> it's, it's not going to be as good as you think. But um, back to real estate, isn't it? Uh, and as I sold off most of those investments now, is that something I should be looking at again? Uh, as part of my portfolio, because I heard you saying that there's just not a whole lot of inventory uh, uh, when we were talking before well, this recording. Well, and that's what the problem is today, is that people want to buy. And it's a good time to buy if you can find a house to buy. Mm-hmm. So so we, uh, one thing that, that Biden is talking about doing and the, and the Democrat um, Congress, they want to give a $15,000 um, incentive for first-time homebuyers. That's great because they think more people should be able to own homes. But the Mm -hmm. problem is our inventory is so low right now. It's so low that where are they going to buy? It's you put $15,000 in the hands of folks. That's great. But what are they going to buy? There's nothing out there to buy. 
You know, I look right. at Phoenix and, and, and Arizona. Well, Arizona is one of the hottest markets. The Phoenix market is, is such a hot market. Tucson, Tucson doesn't have hardly anything on the market. And what it is, you're not just yep. getting, you're not just putting in an offer. They're putting in sometimes 15 to 20 offers within minutes. Utah, I've got a daughter in Utah. It's the same thing there to try to find something. Wow. So it's hard. It's hard to, it's, and then if you're going to buy, if you're going to sell and then buy, so, so you, if, if that's something you're thinking of doing, you really have to know what you're going to buy first before you sell because right. you may be out of a house. So, yeah, so right. there it's important to have, really, <laughs> but there it's really important to have a realtor who understands that. And like what we did for my daughter up in Utah, we put her house on the market, but it was contingent on her finding another house. Not mm-hmm. the other way around, not the right. new house being contingent on her selling, but on the on it being contingent on her finding another house. So who thinks of that? Not many realtors think of that. But in this market, right. you know, sometimes your best friend <laughs> isn't always or your or your family member isn't always the loan officer or the realtor that you should be going with if they don't have the experience. Right now, you need experience. And is it a mm. good time to buy? Absolutely. The market's going up, but the but the. Uh, the equity that you're going to find in the house is going up very, very quickly. And I know people are worried. Sounds like it's a good time to sell. It's a great time to sell, <laughs> but, you, it, but you have to have a place to live. Where are you going to live? You know, do you have to buy? <laughs> so then you got to try to find something first or rent yep. and rents are going up too. the price of the, the rents are going up if you're paying your rent. Cause we know that the, the stimulus mm-hmm. packages yeah. kind of helped uh, renters not, uh, not the landlord, which is kind of mm. in a tough situation. It seems to be this misconception that everybody who's a landlord is this like daddy warbucks right. type figure yeah. that, right? You know, is just looking to screw the average person. But it's, in reality, like most of the people that own properties and rent them out aren't making a killing off of them. They're just you know barely covering the the mortgage. It's more. It's more like a small business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you and me. It's the average person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, or not even a small yeah. business. It's just the mom and pop type people. You know, you got an yeah. extra house and you're renting it out. Right. And what happens, like Kyle, you've got an extra house. What happens if your renter stops, stops paying? I mean, that's going to put a damper on you. There's no protection for you. There's no protection oh, yeah. for you. There's protection for the renter. Right. But what people also don't realize is even if you stop paying it, you're going to still owe it. Do you really right. want when this is all right. done? Oh, yeah. To have a judgment against you and against your credit for thousands of dollars. Because guess what, folks? If you have a judgment against you, you will never, ever, ever get a loan until that's paid off. <laughs> I, I had right. to, uh, I had to evict some tenants once. Then <laughs> it was not fun. And I was shocked no. at their response when I was like, look, you know, you guys aren't, aren't paying and you're not coming up with a plan to pay and I, I don't want to evict you but we've gotten to the point where i have to start eviction proceedings and they were like okay yeah whatever and they were just so blasé about it i was like do you not realize what a big deal this is like <laughs> this a cop you know, is gonna come you know, and remove had, you from the home yeah Ugh. i had a client i had a client of mine who um the wife told me this she was furious at her husband because he kept renewing. In Arizona, you have to renew a judgment every five years for it to stay on, um, for it to stay valid. Otherwise, it, ex- it mm-hmm. expires and you don't have to pay it. 
Um, so this guy, every five years, would renew this judgment, and it was for rent that wasn't paid. For years, mm-hmm. it was like 20 years later, the guy who had the original judgment is finally grown up. He's got a good job. He wants to buy a house. Well, he can't buy a house any pay- until he pays off that judgment. And when the wife got that check for like thirty-five or $45,000, she turned to him and said, Honey, I will never complain again. <laughs> but the point is, the point is it adds up. It adds up. Yeah. And you will not be able to ever buy a house if you, if you don't settle those kinds of things. So what are the, the types of things that uh, you look for? Like if, if, a, if a young 20-something-year-old person were to walk into your office and say, uh, what, what, what do I need to get in my first home? Where should I be at financially? What, what, kind of, what kind of suggestion would you have before somebody starts shopping for that loan? It, 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 assuming so, there's a, a housing market to find a good house for them. <laughs> right. Well, the first thing I do is I want to take <laughs> your application and I want to pull your credit. I want to get a snapshot of what that credit is. And people have the misconception of saying, well, I just looked at, you know, uh, freecreditreports.com or, you know, whatever they can do from online. And my credit is an 850. Well, I'm sorry, but what you see on your app or on your, you know, what program you're using is not the same thing as what a lender will pull. There's a, it's right. different. Um, they make it sound good and look better mm. than what you really are um, in a lot of cases on, for what a, a lender is going to actually use. So I've got to pull the credit report that I use. So that's the first thing I do, and I look at what kind of debt you have. I, um, I want to see that you can make your payments, that you're making your payments, that you're not in deferment. So a lot of folks, especially now, the way things are with the, with the coronavirus, people are, are putting some of their payments on on forbearance, which just means that they're holding them still. They're not making the payments on them until they can get on their feet better. Well, a lender right. is going to, an investor who's going to actually buy right. the mortgage is going to look at that and say, well, if you can't even afford to make those payments, how are you going to afford to make a mortgage payment? You know, so I look mm-hmm. at all of that. I have other folks that try, especially young folks that, that are uh, that are in a better position, you know, I ask, I want to know how much are you, are you putting into your 401k or your Roth IRA? I want to know how much are you saving for retirement? Because, mm-hmm. because they want, you want to buy a house, great. They want to pay off the house early, great. But that's not such a great thing to do if you're not fully funding your retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, you do it when you're young. So the, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'll ask somebody if they say, hey, I want to I wanna go to a 15-year mortgage um, or I want to pay extra on my mortgage. Well, when you're borrowing it at 2.5% or two point, you know, less than 3%, if you're not fully funding right. your IRAs or your 401ks, and when I say fully funding, I don't mean how much is your company matching so if your company's if you're putting in six percent and your company's matching six percent, that's not fully funding. Fully funding is putting the maximum in. On a four hundred one k, I think it's nineteen thousand. Maybe it goes up this year. On your IRA, I think it's like six thousand or sixty five hundred. But if yeah. you're not fully putting in what you can into mm. those investments now while you're young to protect you for when you're my age, uh, then then you need a little bit of a lesson from that. And so I try to I try to find out what they're doing. <laughs> and, you know, in a book that I like people to read, especially young folks, is The Richest Man in Babylon. 
It is an easy read, but it is really good. And it talks about paying yourself first, investing with somebody who knows what they're doing, and how to really save for your for later on for your retirement. I remember when I remember when Kyle was in the military and he had a bunch of buddies and I met some of the buddies. I I remember saying to them, guys, make sure you are fully funding your IRA, your your Roth IRA. And Roth is a way to go if you can if you can do it because of course you pay taxes now but you don't pay taxes later right. when you actually take it out. But if you do it while you're in the military when you have no other commitments except, you know, drinking and, you know, doing what young guys do in the military um, if you're <laughs> if you're putting yeah, your money away in, yeah, right. but if you're putting your money in now <laughs> in these six years that you're in the military i mean i did the quick calculation back then it was like by the time you hit 59 and a half they were going to end up with two million dollars in their in their roth ira i mean come on guys that's what you need to be doing and i, t- I remember telling these guys i'll mm-hmm. be dead when you hit 59 and a half but I guarantee you, you will be thinking, oh, my gosh, am I glad I listened to her, you know, mm. because because you don't think of that when you're 18 and 19 and 20 years old. So when I sit down and talk to these young folks, first time homebuyers, actually, I talked to when I talk to anybody, that's the thing I ask them to. Are they fully funding their IRAs? But you got to look at the whole picture even if you don't know what that whole picture is. And that's where it goes back to trusting the folks that you're working with. You don't want the cheapest necessarily. You want somebody that you can trust, that you know is giving you the right information, that's not um, looking to make a buck on their own um, you know, off of you. Because I look back at my first real estate investment and I thought we did really well, but when I look at it 30 years later, I know I got ripped off. I don't mm. want any of my customers to oh. ever come back years later after I'm dead and gone to say, oh my gosh, she ripped me off. I mm-hmm. want them to come back. Yep. I want them to come back time and time again. And I will tell you, my business is based on uh, referral and repeat customers. I would say that 95% of my customers are uh, come back to me. So Right. When, they, when they're... They must be doing something oh, that's right. A good, uh, that's a good... <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned credit uh, a minute ago. Uh, if one of those couples comes to you and doesn't have the, the credit to qualify, what, what are some of the steps that they can take in order to, to improve that? And how long does that process take? Well, I will tell take? you, credit is a, is a big deal. People don't think it necessarily is, but it's a big deal. Um, and I'm going to tell a little story of when, when my oldest daughter got married. I won't say her name because I don't want to embarrass them. But when, um, when she got, before she got married... I, because I'm in the lending business, when my kids would get married, the first thing I would do is say, okay, spouse-to-be, I want to check your credit before they get married. (laughs) Now, now, I would never use that to say you cannot get married, but I want to use it as a way to say, this is what you're getting into. So if you've got somebody who's got really, really low credit scores, has a lot of collections, then I would say to my child, make sure you control the checking account because this person mm. has no clue. But none <laughs> of them had that issue, so that was not a problem. But when I, when I talked to this one, um, he had no credit because a lot of kids don't know. I mean, that's the other thing is you, you, know, you had to set a plan when you turn 18 and I will teach you how to get credit and how to use your credit to your benefit. So, so in this particular case, he had no credit. 
And um, he, I told him what he needed to do. You know, you need to get a credit card. You need to, you know, there's different things that you can do just to establish credit. Well, he came back and said, um, he came back and said, uh, well, my dad said, I really don't need credit. I can do it after I'm married. And I said, okay. Uh, so I said, bad. how are you going to rent an apartment when you get married? And he said, um, I said, how are you going to get a job? And he said, um, I said, what about uh, insurance on your car? He said, do you need credit for all of that? I said, absolutely. You need credit. <laughs> so if you don't have credit, then you're going to have it a lot harder. Now, now I'll look, I'll tell you on my son, when he went on a mission for, um, for our church, when he went on his mission, right before he went, I had him establish a couple of credit cards, uh, two credit cards, and I was a user with it. I was a uh, joint owner. He and I did it together. And I used, he didn't take the credit cards with him, of course, but I used it every month or every couple of months. I would put a tank of gas in, use it, and then pay it off. Because that's the thing with credit. You don't need to max it out. You just need to use it. You need to charge $10 every quarter in order for it to actively report. So I had two credit cards for him, and I would mm. use it one month, and then the next month I'd use the other one, then I'd use the other one and go back and forth. When he came back two years later, and he then started dating, he got married like six months later, got engaged, whatever. He bought a house, actually, it was six months later. He actually had 790 credit scores. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did oh, he do wow. anything? No, but I did it to help him, to show him. So he right. established really great credit so, while he was gone because he had somebody telling him what he really should be doing. So the, the key to improving your credit then is not necessarily how much you're, you're carrying, it's just using it you can't just get credit cards and have them you have to actually charge and pay yeah right and you only need to charge once a quarter and that's where people don't think so i will tell you then on your credit card uh -huh. so if you have let's say you have a thousand dollar credit card uh, bill or a, a credit card uh, not a balance but uh, uh the amount you can charge your, your limit. limit thank you limit so you have a thousand dollar limit yeah. So let's say you charge um, 25% or under 25%, so $250. That actually gives you a better credit score. If you go to 25% to 50%, it doesn't hurt and it doesn't help your credit. Under 25% helps your credit scores. If you go over 50%, that really hurts your credit scores. If you go over 100% because you didn't make your payment or you charge too much and they let it go through, if you're over 100%, that really hurts your credit. So keeping a decent balance is very, very important. And when you say keeping it, that doesn't necessarily mean carrying can, over a balance. Uh, you can just carry means... a balance. But if you have a $1,000 credit card limit and you charge $1,000 on it and I pull credit and it says you've got a $1,000 balance, that's going to actually hurt your scores. But if you drop it down to either you pay it to right. zero or, you, or you've got $200 left on it, now I pull your credit and it shows a $200 balance, it's going to actually help your scores. It will improve your scores. Mm. Now, people... As long as you're making your payments, As long as you're course, making your right? payments, absolutely. Always make <laughs> yeah. your payments. And, and you don't want any 30-day lights on anything. You want to make sure you pay them when they're due. And, and, if, you're, and if, you, if you don't remember, if you're, if you've got, if, if you're busy, and set, set things up on your, on your bank, on your online bank to automatically pay them. Even if you're just paying the minimum balance, automatically pay the minimum balance so you never run into that problem. 
You never, yeah. ever have a leg because that's the last thing that you want. Now, if you were to establish, I have one guy who has like 800 credit scores, a friend of mine who's got great credit scores, but he opened up like four or five credit cards at the same time and his scores actually dropped into the 500. Whoa. They dropped 150 to 250 points because he opened up so much credit at one time. Now, again, when you take, when I, when I run your credit, it's a snapshot of your credit at that one moment in time. I mean, mm-hmm. a day later, it could be different, but it's at that moment. So what I tell you is don't open up a ton of credit. And if you're looking at buying a house, then pay things, pay things off, pay things down to you know, low, but don't, um, and don't open up a ton of stuff because that's gonna hurt your credit too. That's going to hurt it. But now here's, here's something that, uh, you know, with the climate that we're in right now may actually maybe some helpful uh, information. If you can en- enlighten us a little bit on it uh, co- with collections, if you get something that goes to collections, uh, what's your best course of action and how to minimize the impact of your credit score uh, in that scenario? Kyle, do you remember, is it, is it better to, mm-hmm. I'm asking without bringing up my story. I just want <laughs> <laughs> but but you remember though that a collection really can have can really mess things up, um, and yes. and um, okay. So but there's certain ways to pay a collection. There's certain ways to pay it. Mm-hmm. If you can pay the original agency, not the collection agency. Let's say you have a T-Mobile bill and you didn't pay T-Mobile, and T-Mobile sent it to collections. What you're what most people are going to do, they're getting a bill from the collection company, but what you really want to do, if you can, is go to T-Mobile and say, look, I owe you some money, I need to pay this. Pay it that way, then we can go back to the, uh, to the credit bureaus and say, okay, credit bureaus, here's my paid receipt. I, it's not a collection, it should be removed. Instead of paying the collection company, because when you pay the collection company, it's going to stay on your credit for a long time. Even though it shows paid, it's going to still. I made that mistake. Um, I had health insurance and I went to an urgent care and I got charged from both and I got really mad. So I didn't pay the urgent mm. care and uh, it went to collections <laughs> and, and it was like it, it was like 200 some dollars. Like I could pay it. I was just mad about it and being stubborn. And uh, when I calmed down and I got the collections letter, I went, oh, I do need to pay this. And I sent it to the collections and I log into my Experian to check and track my credit score. I have an account with them. And yeah, it showed up there. It's it's that was three years ago and it still shows up on my credit report as uh, one account in collections. But it shows a paid paid collection, Dan, right? It shows a paid collection. It does show a paid collection, but it's still bringing me down. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. It, and it will, con- the longer it takes, the longer the time frame is between today and when you paid it, the better it's going to be. But um, so that, so it'll eventually drop. It'll eventually have very little weight on your credit the longer it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, but that brings up the, that brings up another thing. When you talk about medical collections, medical collections are some of the easiest ones to get off of your credit because medical collections, most of them are not valid. So let's say you go to the doctor mm. and you owe them 25 bucks and you don't, you don't pay it because your, your insurance is paying it. Well, mm-hmm. they don't get it at a certain time frame. They send it to collections and then collections puts it on your credit. But it's already paid. Your insurance has already since paid it because it just takes insurance companies forever to do it. So that's an easy one to get off. That we, that, that's very, they're easy to get. In fact, when we, when we qualify you for a mortgage, we don't even look at medical collections. We look at the other oh, collections. Wow. Now, can it still, it's still weighted against your score. It still hurts your score, but we don't make you pay it off when it's a medical collection. 
uh, because oh, they're always that's so good wrong. To know. In fact, there's been legislature going through the system. I don't know if it's going now, but to say within 30 days of a medical collection being paid, it's got to come off your credit altogether. I'd love to see that happen because it's so they're so wrong. They're so wrong how yeah. they report it. I mean, I've seen I've seen medical collections for five dollars, and oh, it's wow. because your oh, your gosh. coinsurance, <laughs> your medical insurance was supposed yeah. to pay it. And because it takes them six months to pay it, we're, we're losing out on it. You know, it's not right. I think it's been maybe three or four years since this happened to me. But I had, I had a collections call for, uh, I think, like a utilities account for a place I'd lived in. Forgot to, to finish off the uh, or close the account out. And I didn't realize who it was at first. But as I, the conversation was going, I was getting ready to pay. I was like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not paying you. I'll, I hung up the phone on them and then called up the, I think it was Energy or something like that at the time. Called them up, settled it off. and. Uh, you know, took care of it that way and saved myself a lot of headache. And then, so that, and that's exactly what you need to do. But you don't want yeah. to, and and there, you don't want to disregard them either. I had another one who got a, and I I think this has happened to me too, where I've gotten a collection, um, an account going, and it's not even me. I, it's not even anything that belongs to me. Don't ignore it. Make the phone call. Call them. They've got your information. So if they can't verify that it's you, then they can't put it on your credit. And document, Mm -hmm. document, document. If I were to make a phone call to a collection company, to somebody, anything, I document it. I write who I talk to, what date, what time. I put down what I'm wearing. I mean, I I document it so I can come back (laughs) if I have to create a letter that that says what it is to, you know, to get it off. I've got the information and save that information. And I've seen also um, collections where they've been paid off and they come back on your credit. So save your information, save it in case we have to go back. And if you're going to go back and and if you're going to uh, dispute something or go to a a credit company or to your credit bureaus, you have to provide them with your your written documentation. You have to provide them with your driver's license uh, that matches the address that's on the credit. You have to give them your social security card so they can verify that it's you. Uh, And and then you always, always, always send it um, certified mail so they have to sign for it. So you get Mm -hmm. a receipt of when they received it because they have to respond within Uh. 30 days. If they don't respond within 30 days, it has to come off your credit. That is mm-hmm. good advice. So little tips like that. So there's things, and a lot of it, I help people. I help people clear up their credit. But I also have, with, which is why Fairways, another reason why Fairway is so great, is Fairway has a credit department where we have folks that that's all they do. And they, have, they know way more than I know. So again, it's not what you know. It's who you know that you can get help get the information from. So, um, so again, you want to work with somebody, and I we don't we don't charge for that. I mean, I help people, and I don't I don't take anything for it. I just say, you know, I want your business. Just bring your loan to me, <laughs> um, and and do it that way. But we don't right. charge for it. We just help them, and people need help. They 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 don't oh, know yeah. where to go. They oh, don't know yeah. what to do. They don't know how to do it. So. It's really trusting the person you're working with. Oh, those mortgage uh, documents when you're sitting down to sign them can be uh, pretty intimidating. You know, oh, the funny yeah. thing, too, is that I'll have the lawyer type that, uh, that or the engineer type, I should say. Um, and I have a son who's an engineer, so I can say this because uh, I, I just know I've worked with a lot of them. But they're, I can say they're, this. Looking, at, they're looking at the documents. They want to read them all ahead of time. Okay, and they and then they try mm-hmm. to change them. They say, "Well, I don't like this." Okay, well, you can't change the documents. You can read them all you want, <laughs> but you cannot change them. There is nothing. You will never get a loan, a mortgage loan, if you think you're going to change any of it. It's not changeable. 
I'd like to remove the word liable from this phrase right here. In your I'd like dreams. To delete this zero. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the other thing I like to tell people is to be realistic. I had a I had a gal call me up yesterday, um, actually, who wanted a loan. And she said, well, I want my payment at whatever her payment she wanted it to be. And I said, do you realize that if I charged you zero interest, your payment's going to be higher than that? Be realistic. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're not going to oh get a gosh. 1% loan. I had somebody else who said, well, I think rates are, should be at 1%. No, they're not. Because here's the thing, what people don't realize. If rates really and truly got down to 1%, what would happen? Supply and demand. Everybody Mm -hmm. Everybody would want to refinance or to get a mortgage. Everybody would. Right. Why not? Right. It's one percent. All right. With ev yeah. there are like as an industry, we do about two, a little bit over two trillion dollars a year in 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 mortgages. Well, this last year, I think we did over three trillion as an industry. But if there's if there's thirteen trillion dollars out there that need to be refinanced, who can handle mm -hmm. that? Wow. The business, right. the industry cannot mm -hmm. handle it. So what does the industry do if they cannot handle the amount of business coming in? They raise rates. Start to slow, more. Yes, they raise mm -hmm. the rates to start slowing down the inflow. And so you will never, ever see interest at 1%. Even if it realistically should be there, it will never be at 1%. And I can say that with, with pretty, in, pretty much uncertainty here. It will never be at 1% because the <laughs> industry cannot handle that much business. You would be in underwriting for a year right. and you would never oh get it. Yeah, you can't walk alone that long. Yeah. So I got, it'll never mm -hmm. happen. <laughs> I got 1% on my car loan and uh, I've had several opportunities to pay it off and, and I keep stopping myself and be like, why? Why are you like, let, let that loan sit? I couldn't imagine a 30 year mortgage at 1%. That's a, that would be incredible. That would be incredible, but it's not going to happen. So get but it out of your mind. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a gal once. Oh, I had right. a gal once who who told me like five things that she wanted. She wanted to have her payment at this. She wanted to bring in no cash. She wanted to pay low fees. I mean, she listed all these things that she wanted. So I did up the documents and I sent them to her. Well, she never signed them. So I called her and I said, hey, are you going to sign the loan document so we can get started on your loan? She said, no, I don't like the interest rate. And I said, well, <laughs> why do you even care what the interest rate is? Why do you even care? You wanted to save at least $400 a month. You wanted to pay no fees. You wanted, you know, I listed off all the things she wanted. I said, this loan is doing everything you want. Why are you even focusing on the interest? That means nothing. And she says, Ugh. you're right. I'll sign those right now and get them back to you. <laughs> we're, just, we're just so stuck on that number. Well, that number means nothing. It really doesn't. You've got to look at the whole picture to see if it makes sense, if it's a good financial decision. All right. All right. So uh, well, I think we're the, pretty. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, before we go, I want to hear uh, more about your early days options trading experience. All right. Like, how'd you get into it? How did you actually have to do it? Yeah. So I, oh, this was before I even had kids. So this was. And I think my youngest is 30 this year. So this was a long time ago. Um, I worked for an old guy. and He was 80 at the time. He was so old. 
Um, but he did options. He sold, he bought and sold options all day long. And he had, I mean, we were doing, he was making 50,000 plus a month. And this is in the early, this is in the eighties. So the mid eighties. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it was a long time ago. Um, and that was when the stock market was like at 2300 it hit an all-time high of 2300 points <laughs> so you know it was a long time ago <laughs> anyway so he would do options yeah. and and <laughs> and so that it but it was really scary I, I mean and you're talking about getting a quarter here and a and an eighth here and and but he told me a story um when he um he said he had gone he had gone on a trip um on a on a boat he took a cruise and there were no, there was no internet back then. There was no phone lines. There was no way to get in touch with anyone. And he told his assistant, whoever he had working with him, he said, um, "If the market goes bad, I want you to get rid of these." And he had a whole bunch of options. Well, she thought, because isn't it the op? It's the opposite. So when you're selling them, you're getting rid of them. Buy low, you, sell high. But you're, but you're <laughs> buying them. You're buying them. When you have an option to get rid of the option, to if you're if you're selling it back to them, is it selling it or is it bu- it's buying it? Isn't it opposite? Uh, it depends on what you're like. If you sold the contract, you have to buy it right. to close so it. So that's what he did. That's bought, what he had. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So he had, so she had to buy it. Well, when she thought in her mind to get rid of it, she thought it meant to to sell. So she's selling more making the port costing oh, no. more money oh, and he lost back God. then. Yeah, it was a mess. Over $250,000 in like five oh, days no. that was that he was gone. He was gone for just oh, like, Oh my God. I know. So I remember that story and I was scared to death <laughs> to do anything when it came to options. <laughs> and I think I'm still Most that way. Most expensive cruise ever. <laughs> right. And, and I'm still that way. But it was... But he would read the newspaper, and of course, nobody even looks at a newspaper anymore. But I mean, he would read the newspaper and find any little thing that was that was positive or negative about a company, and then we'd go and look at these options, and 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 he would make a little bit at a time, like a, like I said, a quarter, this that, when they became due, and and um, and so I did that for about a, a year or so, um, just just kind of getting my feet wet. I don't do them now because I just don't have the patience to do anything now. I just like to listen to you guys and and try to. And try to do what you're doing <laughs> without <laughs> carefully. Oh. I try to do it very carefully. <laughs> I like listening oh. to your bets so that I can kind of play with that with a little bit. But. You, you don't have the patience for options. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, huh? Isn't it though? As much as those move. <laughs> oh, man. It is crazy. So I just need to, I need to listen to you guys more and actually learn more because it's been a lot of years since I've done that. But I'm telling you, we used to make 50 grand a month back in those days. That was a lot of money. Um, just doing, just doing. That quarter, still is. It, yeah. 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 But, <laughs> but it was, it was quite the experience. And again, he was an old, he was 80 years old and that's what he did all day long. I'd have to go in and fix some lunch and, and we would just watch the, watch the market. So, so, so 50 grand a week in the eighties is equivalent to 125 grand a week today. See, that's a lot of money. Those are both nice numbers. I'd take either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite the experience. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. So so you you mentioned the bet. Uh, You know, we like to close out these guest interviews with a bet. Uh, Is that something you want to take part in? Ooh. 
Yeah, but I have to research. You guys at least have researched. I would have done it. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you what I bought. After, the, after your last show, I bought some Bank of America. Ooh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I also bought Bed Bath & Beyond, but then, I, but then I got rid of it as soon as I made a little bit of money. See, I'm all about make a little bit. Don't have to make a lot. So I made a little bit of money, but if I would have kept in for a little bit longer, I would have made a lot more. So yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where that's, my patience doesn't, but, doesn't go. Yeah. That's, that's something that, that, oh, that makes Kyle sense, and I go back and forth on is I, I like to try and have a target uh, where if it's made this much, that's good. I'll sell out. But uh, uh, the, exactly like you said, a lot of times like you sell out. Oh, it's not done moving. Like, why did I leave that money on the table? Right. Uh, it's, hey, it's Dan, tough. can you it's check? Tough. Can you check how much Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stock is going for right now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell me. I can pull that up. I don't even know what the codes are for it anymore. But I bought that years and years. I bought that when the market was really bad. I sold it, but I want to see how much it is now because I'm going to tell you what I bought it for. <laughs> oh, I thought that was going to be your bet. No, not anymore. <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, Federal National Mortgage that's Association. It. That's it. Uh, four eighty nine. Four dollars and eighty nine cents is what it just closed so at. So I bought that. It's also dropped the last two days. It was at six dollars, okay. six fifty uh, earlier in the week. So I bought that. I don't know a few thousand shares. I bought at thirty three cents a share. Uh, that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice, nice move. <laughs> uh-huh. I bought, and then I bought Delta Airlines before they merged because I knew they were going to merge with with somebody. So I bought Delta Airlines. And bought it at like two dollars a share, a dollar a share, whatever it was. But then when they merged, when they went uh, bankrupt, we, they we need to cut wiped, that one. Yeah, we can cut that out. But that one went to nothing. That they got rid of it all, and I lost everything. I think you just admitted to, you just admitted to insider trading. Right no, but everybody knew that they were. That was not. That was when they were merging. Oh, okay, Every, okay, that was okay. in the oh, heck right. no, that was in the news. <laughs> that they were oh, in the okay, they were in the okay. process of merging. They had gone through bankruptcy, and they were in the process of merging. So I knew that they were either yeah. gonna they were either gonna roll their stock over into the new company, but they didn't. They got rid of their stock. It was gone. So I, I lost all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like going to oh, the no. casino and losing. So I thought, what the heck? But yes, cut all that out. <laughs> but Fannie Mae, I bought. <laughs> no, for, we can leave that in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but all Fannie right. Mae, I bought for thirty three cents a share. Wow! Wow! Crazy, huh? I wish I had a crystal ball so I knew what the future was going to be. Even just a week. Just give me what the week is going to be. I've got the random stock generator if you want to take one of those. Oh, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't like what your bet ends up being. What am I going to have to do if I lose? I think we'll just renew our our contract. There we go. But I'll do that anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> you just so you lost your leverage. Here's well, <laughs> what's funny. The random stock that just came up was Morgan Stanley India Investment Fund. Uh, really? That's how do you keep getting funds on this thing? I might have to. Yeah. I just don't like I don't and don't put this on. I don't like China. So I don't like China stock Chinese stocks. And then your stupid stock, Dan, goes through the roof. I should have freaking bought it. Kyle even said, you should buy this. And I'm like, no, it's China. I'm not going to buy it. Not doing it. Not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's, I definitely was looking at uh, the, the Chinese stocks with, with an eye, with like the stink eye. Like, I don't know about you. I'm suspicious. But I also like making yeah. money and watching them go up. I was like, all right, you know, give me some of these shares. 
Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But then I would have sold it at 65. When it hit 65, I said, okay, Kyle, sell it. But nope, he didn't. Yeah. You didn't say that. You said oh. that when I was at 60. Oh. <laughs> you said I should have sold it at 65. Well, I was, when I, okay, well, I was thinking that. I was looking at it saying, okay, now it's time to sell. All right. But I was thinking it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you guys are fun. I love watching you and listening to you. I mean, I'd love to listen. Thanks for joining us. It's been great having you on. Thank you. How can people uh, get a hold of you? Well, um, actually, phone, my cell phone. I'm always available on my cell phone, 520-977-7904. Email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Uh, you can find me on probably on your on your website, too, right? Yep, you guys yeah. listed? Well, we're going to have to update that after uh, I think we got a listener feedback from John saying that we shouldn't call email old school and then start promoting your email address so heavily. That's right. <laughs> so, so we're going to add the phone number just for him. Okay, so good. There yeah, we go. Really old school. You can go with the phone number. <laughs> That's just kind of saying how old we are, maybe. He's, a, he's afraid of that. I know, right? <laughs> but, Thanks, John. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just to say how old we are, I had a high school friend come back into town last year to watch his daughter graduate high school. So that was a, oh my God. That was a wake-up <laughs> call for me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's it's the like, thing wait, with what? time. It keeps on going. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. All right, guys. Uh, do you have a website? I My website, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you know what? And yeah. I honestly, it's through Fairway. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what my website address is. <laughs> uh, just send it to us. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we update the okay. uh, episode descriptions and, and, and add that into it. And just make sure you add all the NMLS number stuff so I'm legit. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You do good at that. You guys are awesome. Thanks for letting me play. Oh, you're awesome, Sue. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. This has been great. I can't wait to edit it all together and get it up online. All right. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today. It's been a great, great episode with our special guest, Sue Pullen. As always, thank you, thank you. Like, share, listen, react, comment. Do all the social media things because we love you so much. And we need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, that's quite a goodbye, right. Kyle. That's quite right. a goodbye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.